0: Good morning, neighbors, and welcome back to our show for season five. I'm your host, Jane Jeanette Ansa, and I am a rising junior communications student here at Drexel University. Now, this season is very special because it's actually going to be a little bit different than what we're used to. For those of you who don't know, I was nominated for the 2020 Lindy Center Outstanding Undergraduate Civic Engagement Award for my work on and commitment to Good Morning Neighbors. I was humbly nominated by our wonderful facilitator and my personal mentor, Mr. Lawrence Souter. And guess what y'all, we won. (laughs) I know that's right. I am so honored and delighted to accept this award. And I also accept it on behalf of the awesome team at GMN that helped make the show what it is. Anyways, I really hate to brag, but I had to say all that just to say that with this achievement and help from Mr. Souter. I was able to secure funding from my department, shout out to the comm department, to continue my work here on Good Morning Neighbors as a co-op. And you guys know with this whole COVID pandemic, it's been really hard to just find employment of any kind. So this has been such a blessing. So with that being said, I want to say a huge, huge thank you to WKDU, Drexel Edits, and the Lindy Center for Civic Engagement for helping make this show possible. Thank you to my department for being so generous and for supporting me. Thank you again, Lawrence, for being the best mentor and constantly looking out for me and this show. And finally, thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening and helping make our work well worth it. All right, now that everything is said and done, let's get into this intro episode. Now I'm sure you're wondering how the show is changing this season. Well, for starters, I will be the sole host and producer for the show this season, and since it is a co-op, I have all the time in the world to commit to this, so we will be producing and airing new episodes twice a week for the rest of the summer. Can I get a woohoo? So make sure to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday at 9 a.m. right here on WKDU 91.7 FM to hear new episodes of Good Morning Neighbors. We're also working to archive and podcast episodes, so you can go back and listen if you're not an early bird like me, hence why um, this episode is (laughs) pre-recorded. Also, obviously, thanks to COVID, I will be doing all this work remotely. I just know I'm going to miss sitting face-to-face with my guests, but we're going to make it work. So we are keeping the format of the show the same, which is interviewing local nonprofits about the work that they are doing. We are, however, narrowing the view a bit and adding an extra element with everything that is going on in the world right now. I would not be the person I am if I didn't use my platform and voice to raise awareness and help in the fight towards equality and justice in this country, especially as a young black woman in America. So the biggest change for this season of Good Morning Neighbors will be our focus as we shift from a more general range to a hyper-focus on nonprofit organizations on the front lines of this fight and those that are helping the Black community here in Philadelphia. So this will be a two-part effort. We will be focusing on educating and interviewing. So on Tuesdays, I'll be taking us back through history to help educate us more on what has happened and has gotten us to the point where we are now and how we see it manifesting in our society today. Then on Thursdays I will be speaking to a local nonprofit that is tackling the very issue that we discuss that Tuesday. I felt it was really important for me to do this for a number of reasons. First of all, racism in America is real and it is happening right before our eyes whether you like it or not or you choose to turn a blind eye it's happening. And it's also about time that we start striving for it and making real change about this matter. It's not something that has just come to light in the past few months or even years. It's been happening for forever. And we just have technology, internet, social media, cameras, handheld phones now to be able to get proof of some of the things that are happening. And that's one of the scariest parts about it. Even though we do have all this technology now, we're still only capturing a number of what is actually happening. And that's just when it comes to police brutality and overt white racism. Racism is so embedded in the blueprint and structure of this country. There are age old systems that work against people of color, specifically black people. Examples of systemic racism include the difficulty and hurdles that black people face when it comes to getting a job, like having to change your tone of voice, which is also called code switching, or changing your look, um, having to put your straight in your hair or put it back, you know, put it in braids or something like that to make it look more kemp or neat or however they want to call it. Um, And studies have actually also shown that if there are two candidates for a job, a black person and a white person with the exact same amount of experience with the exact same resume, depending on the name and how it looks, the white person or the person with the more white name will most likely get a call back or be able to go in for an interview you also see um systemic racism and the lack of representation within certain fields and at corporate levels of businesses there are a lot of businesses that do not have any leadership including black people do not have any black people on their boards or as managers or anything like that and a lot of businesses do profit off of black people and off of black culture so it's just really interesting to see that they don't have any representation. A form of systemic racism that really it touches my heart the most probably is the disparity of resources in predominantly black neighborhoods and schools as opposed to white ones and I felt this or feel this and have experienced this really personally because i've done a lot of work in education volunteering at schools and things of the sort and being able to see the different types of schools and areas that students have to learn in is really is fascinating i mean to me it really just doesn't make sense that a school in this area can have an a plethora of resources you know just so many resources and Another school, you know, maybe a few miles away or or on the other side of town, is struggling. You know, it's just, it's not fair and it's not a conducive learning environment for children or for students at all. And I was able to witness this and feel this personally in high school. I went to a predominantly white high school and I took night classes at a predominantly black high school, which was pretty far away from my house but my school was really really nice I mean it was beautiful it was really big um, we had we had a nice like cafeteria nice gym you know great facilities great resources there were so many opportunities always at my school but then I remember the first time going to the other school for my night class it just was so different I mean the school just looked so up I mean when I tell you the building was running down it was running down and you could hear like people walking everywhere like creaking um, the classrooms were so tiny and so stuffed there were so many desks in this tiny classroom and it was it was absolutely to me it was like this is not fair, this is not right like my school has all these things that we don't even need while this other school is struggling and you expect students to be invigorated to learn and you expect them to do so well when you're not even providing them with the basic necessities and resources that they need, you know? It's not right, but that's neither here nor there. And that's honestly just the beginning, you know? I know some people say, well, black people could do better for themselves and put themselves in a better position if they just buckle up. And to those people I say, you can never understand the impossibility of that statement until you understand the system that was built to keep black people down and in one place oppressed and some people say oh come on it's not that bad to those people first of all I roll my eyes and then I would say (laughs) we literally cannot make this stuff up I mean it's in the history books which is breezed over to be honest it's in our music it's in our movies it's in literature it's in our conversations it's in our art i mean it's in so much of everything and the struggle is so real i don't i don't see a more blatant way that we can show that the struggle is real but just because you don't see it or you don't feel it personally, doesn't mean that it's not happening and if you are someone who feels like it's not happening because it doesn't affect you But you know what, that's okay. It's totally fine because that's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I have this moment, this platform before me. And I wanna help educate and raise awareness. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm gonna take a quick break and I'll be right back to give y'all a small taste of what you can expect in some of these discussions. Being quarantined is not easy and it can be scary if someone in your home is showing signs of COVID-19. If someone is showing any of the following signs and or symptoms, seek emergency medical care immediately. Trouble breathing, persistent pain or pressure in the chest, new confusion, inability to wake or stay awake, bluish lips or face. Though this list is not all possible symptoms, please call your medical provider for any symptoms that are severe or concerning to you. Call 911 or call ahead to your local emergency facility and notify the operator that you are seeking care for someone who has or may have COVID-19. Let's care for each other and those we are quarantined with during these difficult days. This has been a public service message from the CDC and your friends at WKDU 91.7 FM Philadelphia. Welcome back everybody. You're listening to Good Morning Neighbors on WKDU 91.7 FM with your host Jay Jeanette Ansa. I just want to put a disclaimer out there before we get back into this um, discussion today. These are really uncomfortable conversations and you may hear some things that you don't want to hear, but it's really important that and these things need to be addressed because it's happening. So um, I want to do a quick little personal activity. It's all in your head, so don't worry about it. Be honest, be real with yourself. Because it's literally just you And this is hopefully to help maybe Help you realize or acknowledge Maybe some biases that you may have Or stereotypes or whatever the case may be So um, I want everyone that's listening To just take a moment And think about the general image or idea That pops into your mind when I say the following Black man White man black people white people now take a moment to analyze those ideas and thoughts and images that popped into your head when you heard those words I don't know what came to your mind but I can tell you what the general image of black people is in this country especially men And this is based off of the stereotypes that have been created for Black people. And also based off of history and how that image, a certain image of Black people, especially Black men, has been created way from way, way, way back when. Um, So some of those stereotypes include Black people being lazy, thieves, um, having a high pain tolerance, being violent, being sexually aggressive inferior you know things like that now you may have not said these words specifically but they can show up through microaggressions such as the idea that black people live in the ghetto and need government help such as welfare and whatnot because they're lazy and they don't want to go out and get jobs that's incorrect or clutching your purse or you know, grabbing your child and crossing the street when you see a group of black people or black men in the street that you don't want to cross by because you're scared or thinking that it's okay to follow black people around the story because you assume that they will steal or the thought that black people deserve a lower status in this society or that they're inferior or meaningless because they're black. And the worst of them all calling the police on a black person for no good reason. I don't know where y'all came up with that one but it's weird. (laughs) And I just want to make it clear that none of these stereotypes and images are true. I mean any intelligent person should know that stereotypes are very hurtful and detrimental so you shouldn't even be living your life according to them really. But They are simply a reflection of what the white man believed and made sure that everyone else believed that too. The 1950 movie, Birth of a Nation, was the first film to depict black people the way white people viewed them and therefore justify their negative and wrong preconceived notion. In this movie, white actors in blackface portrayed the black man as dumb and sexually aggressive towards white women. And it depicted the Ku Klux Klan as the saviors of white supremacy and white power taking out the scary black man. This movie was a hit, not only because white people approved of this narrative, but because it was the first of its kind cinematically in many respects. And I always say this, but I feel like white people did a really great job at what they did in terms of creating a negative image of the black man. Because even overseas, you know, people in other countries, they view black people, especially here in America, the same exact way as that image that I just described. And I come from an African household. Both my parents are Ghanaian. I was born here and raised here. Um, But coming from an African household... I can't lie, Like Africans definitely did have the same kind of views and fears of black people that white people do, and I think it's just from that image that was created so many years ago, and it's never been, I guess, debunked, (laughs) you know? It's never been erased, and growing up, I feel like that's something that I had to deal with and experience personally. We moved a lot growing up, and my dad always made sure that we lived in a predominantly white neighborhood so we could go to the predominantly white schools because they were quote-unquote better. And for a time, I always was scared of large groups of black people, but I never had a valid reason as to why I had those feelings or even felt that way at all, but like it's because that's how everyone else around me felt like, so I mean, how else was I supposed to think? you know, being ignorant and everything like that. So young and so dumb, but I was around Africans and white people. And that's just what it was until one day I had a coming to Jesus moment. And I was like, Jay, what is the real problem? Like, what's the issue? Cause I'm not understanding, you know, especially being like a black woman, a black girl at that time myself and having experienced racism, I just felt like Black people cannot be the sole problem in this whole society. Like it, I just didn't want to believe it. So I took it upon myself to um, do my research. For me, it just was the fact that I couldn't justify my fear. I didn't have a good reason as to why I, I I was so scared or I viewed certain things this way. You know, I didn't have a good reason, so I was like, let me just do some research and learn and see what see what i come up with and i did my research and i learned so much stuff just about the history of everything how everything came to be what it was and i had to unlearn some of the ideas and thoughts that i had formed already and i'm so happy that i did it because it made me a better person today and i just that realization for me is what i wish everybody a lot of people could come to so that kind of, it's my question to everyone. It's like, think to yourself, why is this the image? You know, like why why do we have this image of um, black people being so violent and so evil and so scary and so inferior, some way like that, like why? And um, Minister Louise Farrakhan said it best. I think he said it so eloquently, so take a listen. The young lady said she's afraid of violence. And isn't it sad that we who have been the victims of so much violence, now whites fear violence from us. We do not have a history of killing white people. White people have a history of killing us. See, and what, and what you fear, may I say this, sir? What you fear, and it's a deep guilt thing, that white folks suffer. You are afraid. That if we ever come to power, we will do to you and your fathers what you and your people have done to us. And I think you are judging us by the state of your own mind, and that is not necessarily the mind of black people. And that's that on that. So moving on, the last reason that I am so passionate about this is because there is too much misinformation surrounding slavery, racism, civil rights, and black history in general. Um, The problem is that black history is not taught at all in schools. Like what we learn is American history which has a quick mention of slavery, really just brushes over it. It doesn't even attack the real issue of slavery and racism, especially in today's society. And it just brushes, it, brushes over it as if it wasn't a big deal and it wasn't as detrimental as it was and as if the repercussions are still not affecting us to this day. But Black people also have their own very rich and extensive history in this nation as well. And it just isn't taught. I mean, it's just so disregarded. And I feel like that allows people to grow up without truly knowing the full history of this nation and all its people. And it's hard for me sometimes to talk about this in a professional manner because it just gets me so heated. You know, it makes me, it makes me upset. And I strongly believe that at every level of education from elementary school to college, students have to have a course on black history, not just learn a few things one month out of the year. I mean, how effective is that, you know? To me it seems like it's breeding generations of people who grow up with wrong ideas about certain groups and most likely do not care enough to do the work outside of school. unlearn those things until it's too late if you're going to teach history you have to teach all facets and aspects of history so that people understand why certain things happen the way that they happen so that people know why we are where we are today especially when it comes to slavery i think it's so it's so terrible on the part of teachers to teach about slavery and not to talk about racism and how Racism is so prevalent in our society Society today. I mean, I guess maybe it's so ingrained that people don't even want to recognize it because it's so easy to overlook. But it's definitely a conversation that has to be had all the time so people know and are aware. And people know that it's wrong. But don't worry, guys. That's why I'm here. I will be doing my part to make sure that I share accurate history and resources, and I can only hope that I can help open the eyes and hearts of many, and maybe one day we will live in a world that is fair, equal, and just. But alright, enough of that, um, because this is just the intro, and that's all we have time for today anyways. <laughs> so... There's a lot to look forward to on this season of Good Morning Neighbors, um, such as conversations on gentrification, police brutality, the Black maternal mortality rate, Black-on-Black crime, and more. Our very first guest, however, that you will be hearing from on Thursday will be representing our beloved Drexel. Even though this show may reach far beyond the Drexel community, it is important to acknowledge these issues and how they are happening right after. So after the death of George Floyd, um, may he rest in perfect peace, and the protests over his death, Drexel made a statement and is taking steps to tackle the issue of racism head on, especially here on campus. So much so that they have launched an anti-racism task force, among other initiatives. Now, only time will tell how far... That's gonna go, but I'm excited to see what the future holds. Join me on Thursday as I interview one of the task force leaders, Ms. Kim Gulston, and one of our Black student leaders here on campus, the president of the Drexel Black Action Committee, Tiana Williams. She's on the task force as well. We will be discussing Black student and faculty experiences at Drexel, how the university approaches and addresses these issues, what the task force actually is and what they will be doing, and some positive steps moving forward. That's this Thursday morning at 9 a.m. right here on WKDU 91.7 FM. These episodes will also be archived and podcasted to SoundCloud for your listening pleasure. Now, before I go, I will be ending each episode this season with quick Black history fun facts and resource action items that you can do to participate in this fight towards racial justice. So let's get into the fact. This fact is from pbs.org. While Jewish and African-American communities have a tumultuous shared history when it comes to the pursuit of civil rights, there is a chapter that is often overlooked. In the 1930s, when Jewish academics from Germany and Austria were dismissed from their teaching positions, many came to the United States dates looking for jobs. Due to the depression, xenophobia, and rising anti-Semitism, many found it difficult to find work, but more than 50 found positions at HBCUs in the segregated South. Originally established to educate freed slaves to read and write, the first of the historically black colleges and universities was Shana University in Pennsylvania, established in 1837. By the time Jewish professors arrived, the number of HBCUs had grown to 78, At a time when both Jews and African Americans were persecuted, Jewish professors in the Black colleges found the environment comfortable and accepting, often creating special programs to provide opportunities to engage Blacks and Whites in meaningful conversation, often for the first time. In the years that followed, the interests of Jewish and African American communities increasingly diverged, But this one shared experience of discrimination and interracial cooperation remains a key part of the civil rights movement. This next fact is also from PBS.org. The iconic cartoon character Betty Boop was inspired by a black jazz singer in Harlem. Introduced by cartoonist Max Fleischer in 1930, the caricature of the jazz age flapper was the first and most famous sex symbol in animation. Betty Boop is best known for her revealing dress, curvaceous figure, and signature vocals. While there has been controversy over the years, the inspiration has been traced back to Esther Jones, who was known as Baby Esther, and performed regularly in the Cotton Club during the 1920s. After seeing Baby Esther, Helen Kane adopted her style and began using boops in her song as well. Finding fame early on, Helen Kane often included this baby style into her music. When Betty Boop was introduced, Kane promptly sued Fleischer and Paramount Publix Corporation, stating they were using her image and style. Funny. (laughs) However, video evidence came to light of Baby Esther performing in a nightclub and the court ruled against Helen King, stating she did not have exclusive rights to the booping style or image and that the style, in fact, predated her. Baby Esther's baby style did little to bring her mainstream fame and she died in relative obscurity but a piece of her lives on in the iconic character Betty Booth. Reader's Digest is where our next fact comes from. Of all the cities you learned about in school that no longer exist, Fort Mose is arguably one of the most important. More than 250 years ago, when escaped slaves made their way to St. Augustine, Florida, the oldest continuously inhabited city in America, they were welcomed by the Spanish, who valued their skills and contributions. In 1738, the governor rewarded them by establishing the town that went on to become known as Fort Moose. It was the first officially sanctioned town for freed Black men in what is now the United States. All right, so next, I'm just going to share one action item and one resource to help educate yourself. Now, I won't lie, I'm pretty sure the action item is going to be the same every week until something changes, but... Justice for Brianna Taylor. I'm sure you've been hearing it and seeing it everywhere. I hope you have and I hope you've done your part in trying to demand justice. But every single day we have to we have to be calling and demanding justice because it doesn't make sense why her killers have not been arrested or charged or anything like that. So you can call Daniel Cameron, who's the state attorney general, at 502-696-5300 and Mayor Greg Fisher at 502-574-2003 and demand that they fire arrest and charge Brianna Taylor's killers, Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly, Brett Hankinson, and Miles Cosgrove. You can also check out the website standwithbri.com for a call script and the website makes it really easy to make a call and to know exactly what to say. So please check that out and call these people to make sure we can get justice for Breonna Taylor. The resource that I would leave you all with is the documentary on Netflix called 13th by Ava DuVernay. It really gives a great background and history to everything that has happened and led us to where we are today. Thanks again everyone for tuning in. It has been such a pleasure. Make sure to tune in this Thursday and follow us on Facebook and Instagram for more updates at Good Morning Neighbors. Our Facebook page is Good Morning Neighbors and our Instagram is goodmorning.neighbors. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Peace.